Hello, I'm Renee Barabo, and welcome to the Practical Shaman Podcast. And today I have with me a very interesting man. His name is Kevin Kronitsky, right? I said that? Yeah. And he has been at times a professional rock musician, medical doctor, and business executive. Uh, Despite leading a life deemed outwardly successful, he lived with deep background of anxiety, fear, and stress that waxed and waned since early childhood. At the age of 40, in the midst of decades of suppressing tremendous inner and outer conflict, he reasoned that there must be another way. This willingness led to a decade of studying non-duality by the way of A Course in Miracles. Later, at the height of successful business career, he turned away into relative isolation and soon found the direct path to the recognition of our true nature. One day in meditation, a thought came that a book called The Still Point would be written. And here we have it. And what I was telling Kevin before we started was that being the practical shaman who wrote Winds of Spirit, that the very first uh, opening in part one was uh, a quote or from Thomas Merton. For nothing has ever been said about God that hasn't already been said better by the wind and the pines. And that's true for me. And what I what I really um, recognized right away is your love of nature. And you don't really that's not that's not what the book is about, per se. But you certainly um, must have spend time in nature with your metaphors and your um, experience of the still point being that other. For me, it's wind. Once I found the wind, I, I was I never had to look sideways to uh, for any other kind of recognition or awareness because the wind had my back. And I can tell that you've had maybe you don't call it the wind, but that type of an experience in your life that you're sharing about in this book. So welcome. Thank you, Renee. So so tell us. Uh, so you had as a rock musician, what instruments did you play? Oh, uh, I, I played the bass guitar and, you know, helped to write songs for a nice. time, yeah. long time ago, long time ago. And then you were a medical doctor too? Yeah, I, I went to medical school um, after that particular phase and then kind of went into business for, you know, for, for many years, really uh, life sciences and the biotech business pretty much based around that kind of medical, medical degree. Okay. And then is that what you were as a business executive? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, for me, and, and let me, since you don't really know me very well, but for me, you know, there's always these people like, oh, I want to do that other work. Well, to me, there is no other work. I, I work as a marketing executive at a behavioral health organization, and it's not a separation between me being a shaman, being present and showing up there as a marketing executive. But it sounds like that you had a, a time in your life where you needed to actually break away from being that business executive to really get clear on who you are and, and what you bring to the world. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think it was just a classic turning away from the world for a period of time. It had, it had become clear that, um, you know, at, although the world, you know, things were going well in terms of how the world, the world we live in would define things, um, it, it there, you know, that happiness and that peace wasn't there. There's was a lot of conflict in my life and uh, a lot of anxiety, as I mentioned in the book, since I was, you know, very young, that 
kind of waxed and waned. And um, it was very clear at a certain point that the answers couldn't be found out there in experience. More, you know, um, you know, uh, whatever it was, wasn't more money, more, uh, more fame, more power, whatever wasn't going to, kind of wasn't going to deliver that. And that's when it became um, clear and the opportunity was there to really turn inward and move away from experience for a little bit uh, to, to really uh, turn inward and, um, and understand what we are at our very basic, at, at our very basic core, at our very basic nature. And, and I told Kevin right off the bat, like I, I, I interview a lot of authors and I, I love to interview authors and I have, I have the world's, um, I think she's one of the best editors going and, and I, and I always, when I read a lot of books, I'm there like, oh, they should have had my editor, but your, your book is really, really well written and it, it engages you right from the, the front with some new ideas. Although it sounds like you came through the course of miracles. Did you, did you leave that body of work behind or what brought you to this still point? Yeah, well, you know, the, um, the A Course in Miracles was, was really the first uh, thing that appeared maybe 15, 16 years ago or so, whatever, whatever it is now, as an answer to this, um, this little willingness or this openness to really question uh, all of my beliefs, to question life, to say, hey, why, you know, why if life is being lived in a way that everybody in the world is saying, no, you're, you know, you're doing well, everything's going, going, going well for you. Well, why, why do I still have so much fear and so much anxiety? And why is there so much conflict? So, you know, when this little willingness came, A Course in Miracles came and my, my wife and I basically did A Course in Miracles for about 10 years um, together. At the end of that period, uh, you know, strides had been made in a sense. And there was a, um, there were, there were, it wasn't only an intellectual understanding, there were actual strides in, uh, in our relationship and, and the way that we interacted with the world, but they were still, you know, the, the conflict was still there, the anxiety was still there, the fear, you know, was still there. Um, at that point, this is that point of kind of turning away from the world for a bit, leaving, you know, working full time at that point, um, moving into more of a state of contemplation, physically moving, and then going into more of a state of contemplation. Um, it was initially with the idea that A Course in Miracles and those deeper principles of A Course in Miracles, living A Course in Miracles would be explored. Um, but at some, at some point, I just, there was kind of a roadblock early on after that, after moving. And um, for whatever reason, this direct path, uh, it came just like a course in miracles came when that openness is there, it came and it, it was, uh, relatively quickly after that, um, that it, uh, that what was very intellectual and what was, um, something that the mind was attempting to kind of understand and kind of put together, uh, when that recognition came and, and kind of pulled everything together into an actual felt recognition of our, of our true nature, which happened to be called the still point uh, in this book. It's been called uh, many, many things. And the still point is synonymous with consciousness or with awareness or with Holy Spirit, um, the face of God, Tao, presence, the now, you know, you, you, you can go on and on. So it's really just another, another word that points to the, you know, the, the ineffable, unspeakable silence of our, of our true nature. 
I just would like to share here, and I you probably know, but um, Holy Spirit is a wind, Ruach is a wind, uh, Om is a wind, uh, Nirvana is a wind. They all uh, come from wind, and that is nature. And you even use waxing and waning, and so I'm not sure of your your real connection with nature, but it sounds to me like you know you you tapped beyond the rhetoric because to me, I, to me I, I I see a lot of people who use like the Course of Miracles as words, but again, how do you get behind the pain, beyond the pain, the, beyond the suffering? You know, how do you really? become present. And I call it in my work, a spin access, you know, being really aligned to that access of your own spirit in order to be able to move with, in my work, the wind. But you brought up a couple of interesting points in your book about um, the dynamic and static, uh, dynamic life events versus static uh, life events. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about that. Um, because it that was something new for me. I hadn't I had never heard it put that way. And I'm not sure I totally agree with you, but I want to hear the the logic and what what brought you to that. Yeah, I, I will I will say with, with regards to the wind, the, the Thomas Merton quote in the beginning of the book, I thought it was beautiful when I read it. I was getting I was starting perhaps to write the book. And um it, it it's all it's kind of the ultimate disclaimer, you know, the quote. Is a disclaimer because in this case, what what Merton is saying is that speaking of God or speaking about pure consciousness um, is impossible. No, no words apply. And when he refers to the wind moving through the uh, the cedars and the pines, you know, this is silence. And um, he's simply saying that if we're going to speak about God, if you will, or our true nature as as consciousness. It, words words are already in duality. Words are already distortions uh, of that truth. So that's kind of a disclaimer in a sense, and that's why um, I you know that's why I started the book uh, the book with that. It leaves me off, off the hook a little bit uh, in terms of uh, in terms of trying to talk about that, which is um, you know um, ultimately one can't really speak about. In terms of the dynamic um, and the static aspects of our experience, there's. Uh, all of what we call experience, we think, um, we perceive, we, we perceive the world, you know, we have um, visual perceptions, auditory perceptions, we hear, we, we taste, we smell, we touch. These are all experiences. This is experiential. These are always changing. They come and they go. And there's that which is prior to that, that which knows it. That's our awareness. That's our aware being. It's, it's, it's static doesn't move, it doesn't change. It's whole, it's complete. It's the knowing aspect without which any experience couldn't be had. So you have the dynamic in terms of experience, then you have the static in terms of your awareness, which knows that. And um, we in this world, for the most part, and most people have given all of, of their attention exclusively to the dynamic, exclusively to their thoughts and to their feelings. And what happens with that is that our identification as who we are, um, for the most part, is locked into the uh, belief that we are the body and we are the mind. We are the thoughts and feelings as well as the body. And that creates the sense of duality and the sense of separation. We don't recognize that we are that whole, complete, silent awareness that's prior to all experience. That's interesting. And, and so if we understood that, 
All right. I know you talked about COVID in your book and, you know, that's something that we're, we're now in my, my worldview that that was a, a threshold we crossed. You know, the shamans talked about that, you know, a, a virus would come on the winds. And so it's a threshold we crossed about how we are now at society. So in your worldview of this, how would one, how would we hold COVID or how would we hold the war or how would we hold uh, these current events that are going on when we are living from a still point? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question. And, and the answer ultimately is that the world and the screen of the world is a continually changing teaching tool. It's, it's almost impossible from the point of separation to, to see that. But, you know, the reality is that all the events that happen, all the catalyst that happens in the world is, is there because the minds of, of the people on this planet are, are, are needing that to turn inward and to recognize the still point, to recognize what, you know, they truly are. And, um, that's why, in a sense, you know, we don't judge. You don't judge catalysts. You don't judge what, what occurs out on the screen of the world. The only control you have is how you interpret that and how you deal with that. That can only be handled inside. You know, like in a sense of um, the old analogy of the movie projector and the screen. You know, if you don't like what's on the screen, you don't go up to the screen and try to bang on the screen and change the screen. You've got to go back to the projector room and change what is being projected. And the only way that you can do that is to go in and recognize what you are, what your true nature is. And so if that's the truth and I want to be okay with the war, you know, because I want, I want to have some semblance of, you know, no other thoughts and no other things about it. How, what kind of a practice have you found that's helpful to, to go back and work with that projector? Well, you know, you, in the book, probably uh, the one thing that's mentioned over and over and over again is this direct path of simply recognizing our own aware being. You know, the question um, is asked, I don't know how many times in the book, where we simply say, are we aware? And when we do that, we pause for a moment and then we say, yes, we recognize our awareness. We recognize that we are aware. That is the aware being that's prior to experience. It's that which is prior to thought and in between thought, as well as you know, when, when, thought, is, and when thought is happening. Um, the problem is that we can recognize that very quickly, but the mind immediately goes on. The mind immediately jumps in and says, yeah, well, that's great, but what, what more can, what, what can I get from the outside? What, I need to know more about this. I need to, you know, I, I need to understand this more. I need to, so it, it's this, becomes this practice of recognition of self and then going back and abiding as that over and over and over again. You know, and we, we do this in the midst of all experience. We do this when we sit in what we call meditation. Um, and eventually that, that being, that aware being, that consciousness, it begins to move to the forefront. It's, it's not buried under this thick cloud of thoughts and perceptions and memories and beliefs that we have and that we've built up. It becomes, it becomes more and more apparent. Um, and uh, as this practice increases and that becomes more and more apparent, we have this separation between what we essentially are and all of our experience. And with that, peace comes and then eventually happiness comes because um, that is our true nature. 
So that's essentially the, uh, that's the practice of it. It's a practice, you know, self-inquiry. Um, it's um, the practice really of, of the direct path of going directly to and recognizing fundamentally what we are by recognizing our simple awareness. See, you're a shaman. You just didn't even know it yet. That's maybe your next calling because one of the things that in, in my tenets of my work is that about 15,000 years ago, we moved from the outside in. And when we moved in, you know, all of a sudden we had a wind eye to look out from and we needed other intermediaries to tell us what was true. What was, how, how am I going to respond to this? So it sounds to me like, you know, there's many paths up the mountain. The view is pretty much really glorious from the top if you're, you're working to get there. But the, that, that the, the way that you would come into this awareness do you have a little tip or tool you could tell somebody like, if I'm unaware at the moment, how do I jump back into my awareness? No, no one's unaware. No one's ever, ever been unaware. Awareness isn't something you acquire. It's not something you obtain. You are awareness. This is your true nature. This is what you always already are. It is obscured by the continual fascination and identification with experience, with everything that comes and goes, with that which is ephemeral. You know, I mentioned our thoughts and feelings. Um, a lot in the book. And it's true that we identify with our thoughts and feelings, as opposed to seeing that thoughts and feelings also simply come and go. They arise from our, our, our awareness. So, you know, this isn't about becoming anything. It's not about moving towards something. It's not about a path. This is about the recognition of that which we always already are. And, and, and I, I guess I might have um, didn't frame the question right. So tell me, tell us like a simple tool that you use in your book to <clears throat> put your attention back to your awareness. So I'll ask you a question now. Are you, are, Renee, are you aware? Always aware. So there was no hesitation in that. You know, there was no, you didn't have to intellectualize that. You um, asked yourself the question and you went to, essentially you recognize your awareness. You stay as that aware being. You, you are that knowingly, you be that knowingly. That is the practice of this. That's the practice. As I mentioned, anyone, any sentient being who understood that question and could be asked that question would say, yes, I'm aware. Problem is the mind comes in immediately and the mind says, oh, great, what? You know, it, it's so intimate, it's so personal, it's so always present that it is overlooked. We simply overlook it and we then go back out to our thoughts. We go back out to our feelings. We go back out to information um, in the world and we look for the awareness in the one place it can never, ever be found, which is out, out in experience. So that, you know, ultimately is the practice. Um, I, I will say that people really like to talk about experiences around, you know, what was your spiritual experience? What, what type of experiences have you had? Experiences are fascinating to the mind um, because in the, in the, in the uh, heat of great suffering, for example, great anxiety or great suffering, um, or sometimes if people, um, uh, well, let's just say in, in, the heat of great, in the heat of great suffering, if the mind drops away and awareness is left, that peace is very, very um, apparent because it is so contrasted with the storm of mind that, that happens. 
but ultimately it's the exact same. It's the awareness is exactly the same as if you simply ask your question, you're sitting around calmly in your room, am I aware? It's just that uh, it, you know, the, the experience around is, is less turbulent. So that awareness is, it isn't really appreciated as such as much as when someone has this great mystical experience, which ultimately simply means the mind dissolves and you know the anxiety, the, the suffering, the fear go, goes away and you're left with this simple sense of, of peaceful awareness. In that case, it becomes uh, quite apparent. But what we do is we go and we try to grab onto the experience and we try to talk about the experience as, about to the, as opposed to the awareness that simply knows that experience. And I mean, somebody listening, okay, they could say, oh, this is all well and good. You've got two people doing a podcast, you know, teachers, authors, probably happier with their lives. But what about the people who are out there in chronic pain and suffering? You know, what tips, what tip or tool would you give to that person? Or is your book for somebody who's already on, is your book for somebody who's already in pain and suffering? Or is it... Is it somebody who's already moved a little bit from there? So say that I, I work with, um, you know, in a treatment center where, where there's a lot of behavioral health issues with the people being in real suffering and real pain. What is your advice for them? The advice is the same. And, and the book is for anyone who has an interest and is pulled, you know, to, um, to, to, to these matters to recognize themselves. And typically speaking, you know, the, the suffering that, uh, that we experience is, um, is a catalyst. It's, it's very powerful in driving us to uh, question and, and to turn around and to look for, you know, look for, look for another way. The, um, the practice of self-inquiry is the same. Uh, again, it's the same whether you're in great uh, anxiety and great and great resistance to, 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 to the world, to, to what is, or whether you're sitting, you know, calmly contemplating the nature of, of experience. It's to recognize our aware being and to abide as that and, and, and begin to, to be that knowingly and then observe the mechanisms of experience, observe thoughts as they arise and fall without latching onto them, to look at our somatic experience when we have uh, great fear or anxiety, to go into the sensations of the body and sit with them without attaching thought to them, without labeling them, um, and, and, and sit with those and contemplate those and, and not only bring those close, but be those so that they can reveal what is underlying, what is that that underlies all, all experience, which is the self-aware still point itself. I love that. I think that's a great, that's a great place for us to like have us give us a, 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 in a minute, a closing thought on that, but actually that you can be in pain and you can be in suffering. You can be really angry and just turn your self back to that awareness of that. That's just is, and I want to make sure that I get this right, that that just is a self-study at the moment for a lack or, or, or a way to uh, contemplate on yourself that, yeah, I'm really angry right now. And that's enough. Yeah. There's anger. You know, you, what you are, 
uh, the awareness that knows that anger isn't angry. It isn't angry. It isn't sad. It, it you know, it it's it gives you that opportunity to see that sometimes there's anger, sometimes there's depression, sometimes there's fear, sometimes there's anxiety. But what knows that um, is is you know, it, it it does not share in any of those uh, in any of those qualities. And again, that is your your true nature. It's the true nature of all. It's shared. Being is shared. It's not my being, my awareness, your awareness. It's completely shared. There's one. Um, there's one consciousness. There's one being, and that is uh, that is the being of all eight you know billion people on the planet. Mm, I love that. So, uh, Kevin Kretinsky's new book is called The Still Point, and is this your first book? It is. Yeah. And and so. I love how how it's written because there's questions throughout. And and I think we've come to a time where our awareness, maybe not our awareness, but our, um, our, our dynamic is a very short attention span. So it's I, I like that you could just pick it up, open it up and like get the question. What about the cathartic nature of viewing art such as paintings or other works? And then he talks about that's with great art. You go walk through it as if it was your first time. So that first time awareness, you know, that we don't have to label the paintings and we don't have to label our vision of it. We just have to be with them. And being with ourselves and with each other is just such a more compassionate way to be on this earth at this moment than trying to think that I have a solution or you have a solution. And I, I, I would totally recommend picking up this book. I'm going to spend some more time looking at the questions in there and revisiting it. And because even as I'm trying to engage you into telling me a system or your process for it, you, you keep going back to this is, this is the awareness of it. And, and that's got me intrigued. Yeah. I mean, there's no system to, um, so to speak, to get to where you already always are. Mm -hmm. recognition and there are some seeming tools that can be used the direct path simply points you to that directly uh and um yeah it's uh it's certainly not a it's a pathless path you're already sitting there you're already that you just have to clear away the blocks that present prevent us from seeing that and more importantly from feeling that and being that clearly hmm. well it's it's really a pleasure and i'm really I told him, I said, I get a lot of books, but this is the first one that's intrigued me in a long time. So I, I'm really looking forward to really, you know, keeping it and really actually opening it for like a little bite of awareness, because I think that that's a, a really valuable book in this time. It's like in Winds of Spirit, you can open to the back and get some wind guidance. I think that's what people need is like, you know, they need a life map right now to just point them back to that they have all of the tools and everything that they need already. So Kevin, is there one last thing you'd like to leave our readers with, like how they could find you or where the books for sale or where, where are you doing your non-practices? <laughs> uh, you know, it's at a certain point, it, it's, you know, it's just what we are is uh, recognized and it's a never ending, um, never ending realignment of how we live uh, in accordance with that recognition, how we relate and, and interact. And that goes on, I think, forever. Um, hopefully forever. It's, it's, it's great. The book is available, I think, on most out, online outlets, Amazon. There's a website, author, 
kevinkranitsky.com, but you can find it on, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of the, I guess, all of the places online for the most part um, that you would, you would buy books. And also look below here in the description and we'll have a link to Kevin's website. And again, I do recommend this book, The Still Point. And I am Renee, I'm the Practical Shaman, and it's really a pleasure to meet you and to challenge my own thinking around some of this stuff. Thank you, Renee, it was great.